This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. What's up? It's Friday, May 15th. You're listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. I'm rolling into the weekend today with Brandon Marcello, National College Football Reporter for 24-7 Sports. Brandon, what's good? Oh, everything, I guess. I'm, I'm, I'm up, I'm healthy, and uh, that's all I can ask for. So you have been rather prolific this week as far as your bylines go. And I've, I was sort of gathering a list of everything you've been writing just for the purposes of this podcast. And it's been quite a, quite a lot, Brandon. You've, you've clearly hit the ground running here. I'm going to read off a few, just the, the, the headlines of all these bylines so everyone can, can see what you've been doing. And then we're going to choose a few of these to, to launch into you've you've asked how will coaches manage rosters with a new transfer waiver rule you've uh, had it on thursday sec to vote soon on whether players return to campuses in june what will happen to neutral site games amid the covid19 pandemic oregon state coach not laughing about covid19 affecting season building relationships a challenge for new coaches in zoom era and pac-12 has discussed conference only football season so it's kind of clear what beat you've been rocking recently? Uh, uh, you would imagine, hopefully next May, we get to write about more optimistic and rosier things. But for now, let's start with something that doesn't really have too much to do with the coronavirus, although the rule, the transfer waiver rule, probably gets bumped a calendar year because of it. But in your reporting on this story, on, on how coaches will manage trans, or manage rosters with this new waiver rule incoming, you quoted a lot of coaches. I thought it was really interesting. New Arkansas head coach Sam Pittman told you it's going to be difficult to keep an 85-man roster scholarship-wise. When you were when you were writing this and reporting it, Brandon, what stood out to you about this transfer waiver rule and how will it will affect roster building? Well, speaking of these coaches, it reminded me a lot of when I was speaking to coaches when uh, the the transfer portal was about to open up. They, everybody was freaking out, thinking college football would never be the same. A free market was coming to college football. They wouldn't be able to control uh, their own roster. They'd have people coming and going. And while a lot of players have utilized a transfer portal, it hasn't necessarily been the devastating blow that all of them were expecting with their rosters. Because at that time, they were worried about roster management. And that's the same going into this with this transfer waiver. As you said, doesn't appear it's going to pass this legislative session, but certainly looks like it'll be in place for 2021, 2022. And these coaches are already preparing for it. Um, what I found interesting is that, you know, guys like Sam Pittman at Arkansas, he doesn't believe he's going to even be able to keep an 85 man roster. Um, I find that hard to believe. Um, myself, just because through the transfer portal, these coaches have found a way to keep numbers up. But, um, you know, they're put the NCAA is very clearly trying to put more power in the hands of the players, whether it's this or the name image likeness uh, situation, as we all know. So 
I wasn't surprised by the way the coaches reacted. Um, but I think they're all going to have to get over it and adjust to it. And they all know that too. And they, they won't know until they know how this all, how this all transpires, but I don't think it's going to be the devastating blow to their rosters. They think it will be. So coaches think that the ability to transfer and not sit out a year is going to spur a sort of second or third wave, I guess, at this point of, of players deciding to transfer. Basically, do they think the numbers are going to increase again? Uh, uh, this will incentivize players even more to get out of town because I was kind of thinking like the transfer portal is already a thing. They don't have to ask their, their coaches for permission anymore. It's just telling compliance you're leaving. If they're going to leave at this point, I feel like they're going to leave anyway. Yeah, I'm of the same belief. And I think numbers will increase the first year or two when this transfer waiver is in place. But as we've seen with the transfer portal and we'll see, I think those numbers will kind of start you know, leveling out a little bit as players figure out, oh, I'm not landing at a power five school like I hoped. I'm having to go to you know, a lower tier school. But if there are players out there who are just completely unhappy with their situation, this provides them the opportunity to leave school and go play football or basketball immediately somewhere else, no matter where it is, but do what they love and do it somewhere they like. And for some players, that's what really matters to them. Not necessarily being at a big program, but continuing to play football and trying to prove themselves at any level. Um, my favorite quote in that whole story is from attorney Tom Mars, who has represented uh, several student athletes in the past trying to battle for immediate transfer uh, waivers. Um, because as it stands now, of course, the NCAA uh, makes sure that you have to sit out a year, but you can apply for uh, an exception and, you know, extenuating circumstances. So you have a sick family member and that school you're transferring to is closer to home. Well, Tom Mars has represented Shea Patterson. He went to Michigan. And, of course, Justin Fields at Ohio State, who was able to get immediate uh, an immediate waiver. And he, he made a great point. Um, he's worked for Fortune 100 companies. And he says, listen, uh, you pay a top executive at these big-time Fortune 100 companies $5 million, $6 million, $7 million. And that's what coaches are being paid now and even more in college football on a large level. He said, if you were one of these executives at a Fortune 100 company and you went to the CEO and complained about something, about, I don't know if I can get this done or whatever, he said the CEO would look you straight in the eye and say, that's what we're paying you five to $7 million for, is for you to figure it out. Get out of my office. Stop whining about this thing. And that's how he sees these coaches when he hears them saying, oh, this is just going to ruin roster management. We're not going to be able to keep this or that, blah, 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 blah. Well, the reason why you're getting paid big money is, one, to win games, but two, to manage your roster so you make sure you win games. So he doesn't quite understand why coaches are so um, not necessarily outspoken about this, which he can understand if there was clear and clear, you know, clear, uh, points being made, which, by the way, he said he thinks Nick Saban makes some valid points, even if he believes they're wrong and incorrect. But uh, the, just the outcry from coaches, he, he finds funny, considering how much these guys are paid to figure out these situations and to change and adapt with the times. 
That's an interesting point. This year, this past year at SEC Media Days, it seemed like this was the topic the entire time was the transfer portal. And, you know, I think most coaches have probably changed their tune on, on the transfer portal at least, since its inception in October of 2018. You probably expect if players get immediate eligibility, there's going to be a lot of backlash, a lot of snide remarks from coaches, you know, a few, a few things here or there that don't quite play well on Twitter as far as, you know, looking at coaches who can leave freely and come as they go and not liking that players can, but you would hope that eventually they, they sort of do figure it out. Where does the APR come into play here, Brandon? Because you did mention that in your story. Yeah. You know, um, Eli Drinkowitz, uh, the new coach at Missouri brought that up and, and so, uh, too did, uh, Tom Mars and some others I spoke to, uh, the APR situation where, to simplify the APR for everybody out there, it, it depends on one grades and, and how players are doing and staying eligible and all that. But also it deals with retention. You get a retention point if a player returns uh, to campus that next year. And if you have a lot of players leaving and not a lot of retention, that could affect your APR negatively. But my counterpoint to that is the transfer portal hasn't really hurt programs in that sense with players leaving. Um, I, I have had a couple of coaches, including those not even involved with football or basketball, that that believe that the APR needs to be tweaked uh, to kind of reflect these cha- the changing landscape when it comes to transfers. Um, some believe that they should just get rid of the APR completely. Um, obviously, the APR has been around for about, I think, 10 years now, 10, 11, 12 years and um, when it was first introduced, they started tweaking it even in the first couple of years, but it probably needs to be tweaked again if they're going to move forward with this this transfer waiver, especially if they look at the numbers and realize, hey, there's a lot of players leaving. Maybe we need to figure something out when it comes to this retention uh, aspect of the APR because, you know, not a lot of, you know, listen, we haven't heard big stories about football programs being in, in trouble because of academic of their academic progress rate. But, you know, if, say, two, three years down the road, this is an issue for them, uh, I think I think the NCAA will definitely have to look at the APR and tweaking that formula. The College Football Daily will be right back. I really enjoyed your story about how first-year coaches are being challenged right now to build relationships with players who are via Zoom who they don't know at all. And I thought the most interesting part of that whole story, Brandon, was Drinkwitz has this questionnaire that he has his players fill out as an effort to get to know them. You can, you know, what position would you play if you could choose? My favorite was who's your favorite basketball player ever? It kind of seems I didn't even think about that, but this must be really a struggle because we've talked about, oh, how will so and so install their offense? How will they get their defensive alignment set? Like they're just trying to get to know these guys. Yeah, and and you know, especially the first year guys, as as the story points out. I mean, these are coaches that you know were hired in December, January, and even February um, in, in some spots, and a lot of them are first time head coaches. So not only are they dealing with life as a head coach for the first time, but they're dealing with life at a new school with as new head coach of a new team, trying to get to know their players. Their assistant coaches are practically all new at that school, too. They're trying to get to know their players position by position. But, oh, yeah, they're having to do so mostly just online. No one's face-to-face. They're all talking on FaceTime or Zoom or Microsoft Teams, whatever people are using out there. 
And it's difficult to develop relationships. Sure, you could be cordial and share things and everything, but there's a different aspect to relationships and developing trust. Um, you need that eye-to-eye contact. You know, Steve Adazio, the former Boston College coach who's now at Colorado State, you know, says, hey, listen, I, I've, I'm, I'm very much uh, a veteran head coach. I've, I've been through – uh, a lot of things, but he's never faced anything like this. And he is not a guy who loves technology to begin with. He hates texting. He told me that. He says, I hate texting. If you're going to talk to me, at least talk to me on the phone. But I'd rather you come speak to me eye to eye. And he's missing that. And he went on this, not, not necessarily a rant, but he went on this long explanation of his, of his um, philosophy as a coach and how this entire situation with COVID-19 has derailed everything he wants to be able to do, and that's just hang out with his players. I mean, this is a guy who got famous back in 2013 for that vine mm. of him saying, you know, what's better than this? Guys being dudes. And it kind of resonated with people because, you know, football's supposed to be fun. He loves hanging out with these guys and getting to know them, and he can't do that right now. And doing so over you know a video conference isn't the same and plus as i mentioned he's in his first year at colorado state he hasn't had a lot of time face to face with these guys though he was one of the lucky ones just a handful of teams where they actually got in about half of their spring practices they got seven spring practices in so at least he's got that heads up but other than that i mean he's still he's still feeling it and he he he, he just told me listen I'm ready for this to be over. I'm ready to get back. I, I can't. I can't deal with this anymore. Um, I think he's a lot of lot like a lot of people sitting at home. They just want this all to end. But you know, the fact of the matter is, we don't know when it's going to end. We don't know what um, you know new normal is going to be. I mean, not to go explain things too much, but obviously, with this first phase of social distancing and some isolation and quarantine and lockdowns everywhere. That obviously was not designed to just completely eradicate the virus and it would disappear after a few months. It's going to stick around. And so obviously schools are trying to figure out they're going to have a football season if student athletes can return to campus. But, you know, for guys, these coaches who want to be around their players, the big question is, even when that is allowed, what does that look like? I mean, do you continue social distancing? Does everybody have to wear masks? It's it's a very strange time. And as he said, I mean, like anybody, I mean, it's obvious he's never been through anything like this and he has no idea how to handle it. And I, and I think everybody's just trying to make sense of it. And but that's why you hear different things every day, Trey, about, well, I think football season is going to start then or this conference thinks they're going to do this. Or what about the way we handle this? It's, no one really knows. No one has a clue. And um we're all going to have to follow the health officials and government officials um, uh, thought process on all of this and, and their guidelines in, in the end. It's not going to be completely up to a commissioner going, hey, we're playing football. It's going to be informed. It's going to be an informed decision from health officials. And we don't know what health officials are going to think two weeks from now or a month from now, let alone, you know, even even two days from now. Yeah, we're probably coming up with the with- June, two weeks away, you know, we'll try, hopefully have a little bit more clarity in the next two weeks to a month on what's going to happen. And to your point about what does it look like when they come back, heard an interview from Mac Brown, the North Carolina coach was, was saying, 
I'm a big hugger, high fiver, all that stuff. Can you imagine the first team meeting back after all of this? And you go, okay, all right, guys, six feet apart, no hanging out too close, you know, no daps, no, no, none of that. It's going to be interesting. You, you know, pra- practice without the ball, all that stuff. And then Brandon, in this story, Dave Aranda, the the new Baylor coach, I had not even thought of this, but the by the time these coaches sort of moved and were trying to get settled, COVID hits and and Dave Aranda, his family is still in Baton Rouge, so he's driving every weekend from Waco to Baton Rouge. That seems like you know a tough life as well. Yeah, he's driving. That's about a seven hour drive. Uh, each way. So that's 14 hours on the road about, um, you know, every week. Um, at least that's what he told me, you know, driving every weekend. He might not be doing that every weekend. It's pretty difficult to think that, but he's trying to keep his mind off the drive and also continue working by scheduling phone calls. In fact, when I was talking to him, I was one of his 30 minute blocks, uh, that he had set aside to, to speak to people, but he had phone calls scheduled every 30 minutes for like a period of like five hours, I believe. Uh, during that drive. So uh, if you time that out, that's about when he gets on the I-10 and hits that straight shot to Baton Rouge because that I-10 haul can be pretty boring when you're just on one road for that long. And um, at least he's got something to do to handle some business on the phone. But, you know, he's got his family still there. Obviously, this this COVID hit, and it was a situation where, you know, it's difficult to move. I mean, I just went through a move and couldn't believe we actually did it during all this. But we did it, and you know, for him, he's trying to trying to work. He's trying to figure out things with his family. And, um, yeah, I mean, and, and then also, I mean, you know, Steve Adazio, he was, um, he went to his, uh, you know, summer home, uh, up in the, uh, New England area and was working from there. And he finally came back to Fort Collins recently. I I've heard that Mike Leach at Mississippi state's been in Key West, mm-hmm. you know, where he usually hangs out, um, uh, dealing with all this. So it's just, it's very strange. Um, you know, I guess it's a new term for, uh, remember when satellite camps were a big thing? Well, yeah, we're, de- we're dealing with satellite camps now in, in reality, these, everybody's spread out and they're trying to install game, uh, you know, install their playbooks over, you know, video conferencing. It's, uh, it's, it's very strange. I, I you know, Whenever this we do get through this, um, and we do return to some form of normalcy, and we have a vaccine or even or whatever, whenever that happens, you know, um, I I know a lot of people talk about, hey, Zoom is going to change the way we do business. Maybe we don't need to travel and do things like that uh, as much. Yeah, in certain areas, but when it comes to sports, that absolutely will be thrown out the door the moment they're able to return to normalcy. There's no way any of these coaches or players are going to want to sit back behind a computer or a phone again and, and deal with meetings like that. They're going to want to be in person once again, because that's just their personalities. That's a really good point. And I think that applies to all of us. The first few weeks of the quarantine, I was, Hey, this isn't so bad. I'm reading a book. I'm, uh, I'm, you know, catching up on all my shows. And now it's like the moment, the moment life is back to normal. I'm not, I'm not going to want to be working from home. I'm not going to be wanting to just stay inside all day. So that's, that's a totally, totally different than I thought I might've said a few weeks into the quarantine. If, if these new coaches, these first year coaches, it's essentially a year zero. Now Mike Norvell, Sam Pittman's of the world, Dave Aranda's 
they're not going to make excuses. They're going to say everyone had the same circumstances we did. They know that we know what they're dealing with. What do you think is a fair sort of across the board wind total reduction to estimate for these guys? How difficult is this? So if Mike Norvell was expecting to win seven, are you saying five or four? Sam Pittman was expected to win, I don't know, four or five. Does this go to three? Like how how, how tough is this going to be for the first year guys? Yeah, I think you have to adjust it a little bit and and obviously adjust it um, more in the favor of the coaches that give them some more leeway and the benefit of the doubt. Um, because, I mean, listen, that spring and the summer for a first-year coach is the most important time of their entire coaching career at that at that school. They hmm. they put their culture in, they they get the players to believe, um, and if you don't if you get in a situation like this where you're not able to be around them. How do you get players to be all on board and believe in the coach? You do that by watching the results at practice, in the weight room, and obviously when the coach is when the coach is telling you something and it's coming true. Right now, all these coaches can do is just keep talking. Hmm. There's no results to be shown in the weight room or on the practice field right now. And that is going to adversely affect these first-year coaches tremendously, in my opinion. Um, it's going to completely delay um, their ability to get everybody to buy in. Now, the more mature teams, the teams with upperclassmen, they'll find a way to gather together and do their thing and and do what they have to do to win. Um, but if you've got a team that's full of you know, youngsters, but also some seniors who are jaded after yep. several coaching changes, you know, like, like at Arkansas with Brett Bielema, Chad Morris, and now, uh, Sam Pittman, man, that, that is a very difficult situation anyway to go into. But now you go into a situation where the players didn't believe in Chad Morris and revolted on him. And now you've got a new coach on board that you're excited about, but yeah, you don't even really know and have gotten to trust. That's and you already have trust issues from the previous coaching staff. Um, I can't imagine what that how that's going to affect things. And there's a lot of reasons why if we get back to football this fall, it's going to be interesting from a scheduling aspect and all that. But really focusing on how these coaches maintain, you know, their philosophies and whether they have to adjust to get the players all on the same page and believing in things is going to be paramount. Because as I said. That first offseason for a coach is the most important one. And I and just from you know personal experience, the reason why Auburn was able to compete for a national championship that first year of the Gus Malzon era is because they were all scarred, as Gus Malzon put it, from the 2012 season. And he brought them all together in the offseason. And told them, hey, this is a fresh beginning. We're not even going to watch tape from last year. We're not going to judge you on that. We want you to prove yourselves to us, and we want to prove ourselves to you. And they did that through the spring and the summer. They came together, and then that developed through the season. If this was happening that year, year after 2012, say that in Auburn, where they went over in the SEC, I don't think there's any way Auburn would have been in, in the SEC championship game that year. There's just no way because they would not have been able to develop that camaraderie in addition to trying to install the new X's and O's with the playbook. It's, it's gotta be hard when you don't know the coach who's telling you to do this workout or that workout when it's probably not feeling the way 
a normal workout does because it's it's all body weight. And you think across the country, the programs who have established, experienced quarterbacks are going to help you through this. The Trevor Lawrence's, Justin Fields, Sam Ellinger is the guys who you know they're the leader, the alpha in the locker room. Think about the new coaches. They, the, good good chance that if you have a new coach, it's because you probably didn't have very good quarterback play last year. And even in the case where you know Sam Pittman brings in Felipe Franks, how much time did Felipe Franks get on campus to establish himself as the guy? Like this is this is tough for all those guys. And, and Drinkwood said the same thing. If you don't have an established quarterback here, you're you're further down the down the down the list. Yeah, um, a lot of coaches have said that, um, and it, it's true. I mean, any season, it's like, well, if you have an experienced quarterback, you got a chance. I mean, look at Joe Burrow last year. Obviously, with that big leap he made as returning as a starter in his second year at LSU. Um, you know, if you're a program that even has a, you know, fifth, sixth year head coach, but you're going in with a new quarterback, it's going to be tough this year. Um, when and if we get to, to football, um, because listen, I mean, one, there's the leadership aspect, the off the field aspect, but man, timing is everything with quarterbacks and receivers. And if they're not able to do any workouts until they get, you know, six weeks from the season or four weeks from the season, whenever that starts, um, man, that, that, that'll throw a wrench in everything. I think what you're going to see, no matter what, whenever the season starts, you're going to see some sloppy, sloppy football. Oh yeah. It's going to be really bad, but it's, it'll be football, which, which is, which is everything to us right now. I mean, I, I'm fine with watching any level of football at this point. It's going to be pretty bad. And I'm absolutely the same way. And it, because the alternative is you think about you think about what happens if there's not and you think about just on the football field like all the all the teams who it's a Justin Fields or a Trevor Lawrence these teams that were set up for maybe historic seasons and you don't have them but football is for sure going to be sloppy you've got a lot of guys who are not going to be doing what they need to be doing right now and I think that's going to show come summer Brandon we're about to get you out of here kind of want to run down the rest of your bylines and, and choose maybe one more thing you can overrule me here I think the one that you the story you wrote Thursday though the SEC voting soon to allow on on whether to allow players to return to campuses in June is going to maybe uh, perk some ears up you want to talk about that real quick yeah uh, uh one of LSU's executive athletic directors um said at a meeting of Louisiana, I think back to work task force or something along those lines, they always have those long names for those task force. Um, you know, not in an athletics or a reporter or media setting. So he was probably speaking more freely than maybe he should have yeah, yeah. said that, said that, Hey, the uh, sec's presidents and chancellors are going to have a vote May 22nd on whether uh, student athletes can return to campuses June 1st or June 15th. Um, that that's huge. Um, I reached out to the SEC, reached out to some sources. The SEC sent me a pretty generic statement that did not deny it. Um, it's I think there is a vote coming. Um, whether that actually uh, the chancellors and presidents are all on board with even returning June fifteenth remains to be seen. Um, but it, it it falls in line with. I guess this is kind of the first chance, the first opportunity, the first vote that we could potentially see about when student athletes can return. As we've said, and a lot of people have written the drop dead deadline in a lot of eyes of athletic directors, commissioners, and coaches to have an on time start to the season is July 15th. That's about fits into that six week window before the season where you get everybody on campus train, 
get their bodies back in football shape and prepare for a season. So I wouldn't be surprised if these chancellors get together and go, hey, let's kick the can down the road a little bit more until mm-hmm. we know more and we let's not go with June 1st or June 15th and let's reevaluate and maybe look at July 1st or July 15th. I think they've got four options on the table um, based off what I've heard from coaches, and those four options are June 1st, June 15th, July 1st, and July 15th um, as far as getting on campus and being able to potentially start the season on time. So if that vote comes May 22nd and they decide not to bring them on board, don't lose hope because I think they'll do another vote for to decide July 1st and July 15th based on what I'm hearing. It's good to know. I think everyone's going to be paying attention to that since the SEC is regarded right now as we're, you know, the 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 leader, I guess, is as far as will football return, how will it look? The SEC, I think a lot of people might follow their lead or the SEC might do its own thing. So it's going to be interesting to see what the chancellors and presidents say. Brandon, thanks for joining us. I uh, hope you have a good weekend and we're excited to, to get you back on next week to talk about some more good stuff Um, that's going to do it for today's episode of the college football daily if you appreciate what we're doing please leave us a five-star rating maybe drop us a review tell us what you'd like for brandon marcello to come on and talk about we'll we'll try to to listen to your requests and get him back on soon so for tawny levitt who's our producer and for brandon marcello i'm trey scott and we will see you on monday for the next edition of the college football daily 